coming up next on this episode of the Unlock You podcast. So what we want to do is now say, oh, I recognize the lie that I'm alone, I'm abandoned, no one's going to come, I'm always going to be alone, this is always going to happen, the other shoe's always going to drop, people are eventually always going to leave, or whatever yours might be. You recognize the lie, and now you get to say, now that's not true. I reject a core belief that I'm always going to be alone, that bad things always happen, people eventually always go away. Things don't work out for me. The other shoe shoe is going to drop. Those are all core beliefs that if you in that first 30 seconds of that lie, trying to seductively sneak into your soul, if you can say, no, that's not true. It feels really true right now. I honor and grieve and recognize and validate emotion while I simultaneously reject the interpretation that that's my life. And that's how it will always be. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And I love the holidays. They are magical and delightful and full of great traditions, but sometimes they are also full of grief, triggers, and reminders of loss that can hit us out of the blue. There's a lot of anniversaries. There's a lot of firsts and what could have been, what should have been that can happen around the holidays. So all year long, it is important to know that you may have triggers, especially around a specific holiday or a first of something or a pinnacle moment in which that person or that relationship or that job or position would have been and what life would have looked like. The hard thing is we are consciously walking through our life, doing good, living, and then we can get blindsided by these triggers. So the whole reason I did today's episode is actually because I was triggered this morning. So I have been doing really well. I actually haven't even thought about grief in a while, living life just like you, busy doing the things, right? And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I'm talking to a friend. She's telling me, you know, her family's going to be moving, which is the right choice for their family. And conscious, healthy, rational me is excited for my friend, cheering her on. We commit that we're going to stay close, even with being in different states. Can you relate? Can you relate to a moment where life is going along? You think you're in a normal moment, you're being a good friend or spouse or parent or, or child of a parent, you know, an adult situation. And all of a sudden there's just this weird feeling that starts to emerge. Now, my weird feelings might be different than yours. Mine normally accompany lots of multitasking where I kind of a little bit check out and I start checking my text messages, emails. I'm kind of listening, but I'm also still a little bit kind of going back into task orientation. If you ever find yourself being in a moment, but kind of not in a moment, like you kind of step back a little bit and go into driver task mode, start working on that to-do list, be aware what caused me at this moment in time to all of a sudden pull back from connection. In that moment, as I'm consciously so excited for my friend and all the blessings and good things that will come for this move, inside, I'm starting to have some emotions, which I quickly dismiss unconsciously, mind you. I don't realize I'm doing it until I self-reflect later. And I'm already starting to check emails, starting to get into the day when she's still talking on the phone. My brain is already starting to auto-populate the to-do list of the day. How many times are people talking to us and they're on the other side trying to share their heart, their emotions, 
And then we're kind of already getting a little bit distracted. The to-do list is running in your mind and, or maybe you've been the person who's sharing and a loved one starts checking their phone. They start getting distracted or checking their clock. It can be really painful to feel like someone is pulling away from us. And yet actually, rather than taking offense, we could use that as a moment to go, huh, I wonder if something else might be getting activated, triggered on the inside. So because of enough training and self-awareness, I'm realizing I'm still on the phone. She's still talking to me and my brain is auto-populating the to-do list all of a sudden. So I'm realizing what am I trying to avoid? So a great first question is to ask yourself, what am I trying to avoid by being so busy? And we have a cultural phenomenon when it's just accepted that during certain months of the year, you're going to be insanely busy. And that's just part and parcel of being alive and awake in this generation. But it doesn't have to be. We can be task oriented at the appropriate times and we can be relational at the appropriate times. When they start to bleed over, you may wonder to yourself, am I being triggered? By asking myself that question, I didn't make the connection consciously until I paused and asked myself and it started to dawn on me. The symbolic loss of a good heart friend. Now she's just moving a few states away. There's cell phone, there's social media, there's FaceTime. There's all these ways we will plan to stay connected. And yet symbolically, I felt the familiar loss of past loss get triggered. And I want you to think in your own life. When are the times that you start to comfort eat or zone out or get very workaholic and task oriented and it feels like I can't stop the Christmas shopping or the scrolling through and looking at the online shopping or the chores just have to get done and the work just has to be completed until 2 a.m. In those times, wonder to yourself, am I trying to avoid something? So our first task in recognizing when we're triggered is have realistic expectations. Triggers don't announce themselves. They don't show up on your to-do list for the day. It's quite inconvenient, especially for me, I know probably for you as well, that triggers can come on a day where you're like, this is literally the last thing I was hoping for today because I was wanting to get a lot of things done. This was a streamlined focused day. And here came this grief and this loss out of the blue. Yesterday, I was fine. 10 minutes ago, I was fine. And now a dear friend is telling me for the first time that her and her family are moving in like a few weeks, maybe less than that. And I'm like, oh, I'm so happy for you. But inside, I'm feeling something really intense. And I know, yes, I will miss her. But man, this is kind of a high uh, volume response in me. And so I need to have realistic expectations with myself that your grief may be months, years, even decades at times that you may have a resurge of unpredictable, unexpected emotion. Now, I'm not saying we're a slave to that, but I am saying if that comes up, don't get mad at yourself. Don't think you haven't grieved or done the work and it's going to be just as hard as it was before. It just means have realistic expectations that if you create margin for right now, it can actually be really healing and it can be much quicker than you would expect. So first, realistic expectations. Second, I would say have a plan. If you're going through or have gone through a breakup, 
a loss, a divorce, a job transition, um, an economic situation or a bankruptcy or um, a business loss or uh, partnership buyout or something that even though it may have been your idea, it could have still felt like a loss. My mom getting promoted and going to heaven pretty recent to right now, two years prior to this, I knew that that was coming. But again, on the inside, I'm like, I'm good. I got this. And I wasn't expecting that the symbolic loss of a friend moving away was unconsciously very similar to having my mom, who was someone close to my heart, going away. So I want you to think in your own life, start to learn to think symbolically. Things are not always literal they can be very symbolic where you go, oh, the abandonment of something. Yes, this person is not abandoning me today, but maybe it's reminiscent of that parent who was emotionally unavailable or who walked out or that spouse or partner who was there and then they weren't. Or a job that you moved across the country and now it's not there and your life got turned upside down and you had a connection or a bond with a boss or a mentor or something was going in a, a great direction and then the rug got pulled out from under you. I want to be as inclusive and broad as possible that not all loss is the death of someone, but it could also be the death of a dream, the death of an expectation, a hope, an anticipation that we had kind of moved into emotionally. And when it doesn't happen, it can just feel like a gut check on the inside. So you need to give yourself permission and you need to start thinking about a plan. So our first step is have realistic expectations. Our second step is have a plan. Know who you're going to call what you're going to do. Have a written out plan of these are the things that I know are going to be good heart medicine when that trigger comes. I know the things, right? You and I are pretty smart people. We know what to do. But in the moment, even me this morning, I was feeling panic and I literally was like, what am I going to do? I feel alone. Like I have no friends, no community. I'm completely alone. In that moment, by having a plan, because I knew grief would come at unexpected times potentially. And so um, not that I'm like trying to word curse myself or anything and say it has to happen, but it's also wise and due diligence to write things out. What are the things that bring comfort? Who are the people that bring reassurance? And so fortunately I'd been texting with a friend in a longer thread about Christmas and so I said, hey, are you available? Now, a part of my plan is reaching out to people I know who are safe and understand grief. You may have some delightful friends, family, loved ones, but they may not get grief. And so you really want to reach out to those who get it. Maybe you have a pastoral counselor, a therapist, a coach, a mentor, a friend, a sister, a sister-in-law, whatever in your life feels like someone's safe. And so I asked, are you available? Now, part of me wanted to resolve it on my own. I felt like it's not that big of a deal. I already had figured out that it was about losing my mom, not just about my friend moving away and moving away just kind of symbolically represented the loss of my mom moving away out of my everyday life. So that takes humility. It takes a vulnerability to reach out and ask someone to be there. 
But can I tell you that was the absolute best thing I ever could have done. I called my friend, we did initial pleasantries. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I miss my mom. Here's the situation. And I think it triggered this connection of really loss and pain. And so fortunately, this dear friend was available and said, I get it. She has walked through her own grief journey and I've been a part of that. And she has been so gracious and lovely to be there for my grief journey. And so I cried on the phone. And again, in that moment, I know better. I know it's going to end. But in that moment, if you've ever kind of just let yourself grieve and feel triggered, it really feels like it's going to be forever. It feels like I'm going to be sad and depressed and I don't have any relationships. And I'm literally asking, what am I going to do? Like this panic, this feeling of lost, a feeling like I am lost. And so that's why we have a plan. We know whom we're going to reach out to. We, if you have a propensity towards self-harm, remove those things out of your home and your proximity before you go into grieving seasons. If you know, you know, I'm going to be kind of vulnerable, remove the alcohol, remove the pain pills, remove the things out of your house. So they're not readily available because human nature is I feel pain, make it stop. I don't want to feel this anymore. And so we feel this panic and we're more likely to do destructive things that offer immediate relief, but then cause long-term pain in the cost of that choice. And so fortunately mine wasn't those, but it was just calling a friend and not going into self-pity. If you've heard me long enough, I'll tell you, I have a history with major depressive disorder as a child and self-harm. And so in that panic, I could feel that kind of child self-state of feeling alone and scared and flooded and overwhelmed. And maybe you can relate. Maybe yours isn't the same. Maybe it's more panic or just going numb and everything shutting down or just mindlessly eating or distracting yourself and avoiding all day long and not knowing why you kind of feel on edge or irritable. All of those are symbolic ways that we're trying to defend and push against our emotions. By having someone on my plan that I knew this is somebody I can call. This is a safe person who gets grief. We don't want to call someone who minimizes us in that critical moment. It's already so tender and vulnerable to share. And so I'm calling her, I'm talking, and she just lets me cry. And now if you're a friend, please be the kind of friend that creates safety and space for your loved one to cry. I know human nature is, I want to rescue you. I want you to feel better. I don't want you to feel this anymore. But I can tell you on the receiving end of letting someone just be there for me and allowing that grief to surface and her saying, I get it. I understand it's valid. Just those minimal encouragers of saying, I'm here with you. I'm in this with you. It's valid. It's real. I could just feel this panic dissipating out of my body. And when that comes out, now you have medicine, right? Now you have healing salve of compassion that can fill in. If we go into self-pity, which is really vulnerable because tears are neutral. It's the heart intent as I'm crying. Is the crying into it's terrible, it's bad, no one understands, no one will ever get it. That leads into self-pity, which leads into depression. 
On the other side, if you're letting someone be there, and again, it can be even in your imagination. Some of my clients will picture um, their grandparent or Jesus or a, a sister-in-law or someone that feels loving and safe, even if they can't physically be there. Like my friend was not physically there. She was on the phone and she's like, I'm giving you a hug over the phone. I'm crying into this relationship, choosing to allow love in. And so that's the third is you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable and recognize your neediness and that it's healthy, not needy in like an orphan desperation. I'm trying to get you to make it feel better, but just an opening up of saying, Hey, I need help. And I'm going to allow myself to need you and to let that in and allow love in. By filling up with all that love and that reassurance and validation, I could feel everything calming on the inside of me. And then we started to laugh. And so we have, you know, have realistic expectations, have a plan, who are you going to call? What things do you need to remove out of your life? And what things can you accept? I took her with me on the phone, the speaker situation with the car. And so I took her with me to Starbucks. I was literally wearing my jammies still from this morning, driving through the drive-through of Starbucks as I got hot mocha, because that would be what my heart wanted in that moment. And I went with her and metaphorically on the phone. And it was just such a sweet, silly moment. We're texting each other pictures of our gross jammy moments. And I'm literally, literally in public with a robe and jammies on and my Freudian slip slippers. <laughs> Long story. Anyway, so I'm driving out and laughing. And now I allowed humor. Not humor as a defense mechanism where we can kind of laugh it off and just like, ah, it's not a big deal. But I had cried, which is catharsis. I received comfort. And now we just started giggling and laughing about the dumbest things, quoting movies, laughing at our quirkiness. And before I know it, I now feel like myself again. And now here's the bonus. If you want to do the Olympics version of this, you would now connect with the part of you that is feeling the loss. Because I don't know about you, but in those moments where I'm triggered, I'm flooded, I'm overwhelmed, I feel alone. I feel despair. I feel like it's never going to get better and no one will ever love me and care about me in the way that I need, blah, 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 right? That negative narrative is so seductive and easy to entertain. And so what I found is if I can picture the me that is feeling that, like she's in an unconscious room and in my imagination today, I just saw this picture of a girl, like her back turning and just facing the corner of a wall, just kind of crying into herself which part of my background, it might be different for you. Part of depression is this belief, no one's going to get it. And so my unconscious me is isolated in a room right now, going into despair and the false comforter of self-pity, depression, despair come in as a stronghold. And then it just weighs you and it, it causes you to go to a darkness that you're like, literally 15 minutes ago, I wasn't feeling like this. Where is this coming from? And so now you can actually engage with that part of you. You identify what's the lie that my soul is starting to pick up. For me today, even though it's literally completely irrational, my soul started to believe I don't have any deep relationships. Everyone goes away. Everyone leaves. No one's there. Now that's not a rational thought I walk around with, but the enemy uses emotion 
and he causes a lie to resonate with our trapped emotions. And he gets a wounded part of us to make agreement with that unconscious lie. Because again, you and I walk around with pretty good core beliefs, you know, and then a situation triggers an emotion and an unconscious part of us that's susceptible to that lie starts to believe it. And then it goes into a stronghold. So what we want to do is now say, oh, I recognize the lie that I'm alone. I'm abandoned. No one's going to come. I'm always going to be alone. This is always going to happen. The other shoe's always going to drop. People are eventually always going to leave or whatever yours might be. You recognize the lie and now you get to say, now that's not true. I reject the core belief that I'm always going to be alone, that bad things always happen. People eventually always go away. Things don't work out for me. The other shoe, shoe is going to drop. Those are all core beliefs that if you in that first 30 seconds of that lie, trying to seductively sneak into your soul, if you can say, no, that's not true. It feels really true right now. I honor and grieve and recognize and validate emotion while I simultaneously reject the interpretation that that's my life and that's how it will always be. Now, this is really key. So I'm going to repeat myself. At the beginning, you need to have realistic expectations. You might get blindsided. So two, you need to have a plan. Know who your safe people are. Know what are safe, good, comforting, reassuring things like hot cocoa and warm blankets and calling a sweet friend or taking a hot shower or going on a relaxing walk in a beautiful place. Doing something like painting or uh, charcoal or listening to really great music, having a specific playlist. You can also have uh, hope boards or people have boxes where they'll put all the hopeful things for their future, like a dream board and also happy memories that they put in that box. So that's part of your plan. And then you're going to start recognizing I need to be vulnerable. I need to give myself permission to let myself feel, get it out in the posture of receiving compassion. Not just, I feel sorry for myself, but I truly love myself. So I'm going to let love in. And now as you're letting love in the Olympics version is now saying, huh, what's the core lie that my soul is susceptible to in this moment, write down the lie. And then now say, okay, sleazy attorney of the enemy is trying to build a case. And throughout your life, he'll point out different situations that confirm that lie. And now you want to say, now that's not true because, and that's where you play the movie forward of your life experiences and go, that's not true because that didn't end that way. That one didn't, that one didn't. Yes. There may be five situations or five relationships or whatever, but not 25. I have so many more good, but those don't stand out when we're triggered. You remember them once you're in a no longer triggered state like I am right now, but when triggered and we're in that yuck, it's mood congruent memory. And so it's really hard to step out of our mood congruent memory, which just means how I feel right now is the type of memories that are easier to access than mood congruent memories that are hard to access when I'm not in that mood. So like hyper happy, you would have a really hard time connecting with how you could ever feel sad or grieve. 
And then really sad, lonely, longing, uh, uh, disappointed you would have a hard time feeling like I could ever feel hope again. How could I ever feel love and, and peaceful and content and confident that the world will be good again? That is because we have mood congruent memory. And so what you're doing is you're now ministering to that part of you by bending down. And I visualize turning her around in my imagination, the girl with her head to the corner of the room. And I'm saying, Hey, I love you. Your pain is real, but let's play the movie through. I'm here to bring comfort, but we're not going to engage with self-pity. We're not going to give in to this narrative that things are bad or going to be worse in the future. I love you. I validate you. Jesus, would you come minister to this part of me? And now you're bringing that part of you and you start confessing truth. So the easiest thing to do is just take what's the current lie my soul is starting to pick up from this emotion in this situation. And what's the truth that I decide to believe? And it's a choice because everything inside of me wants to believe what feels true. And so it's like building your muscles, right? Repetition where you choose your core belief, irrespective of your circumstance and your emotion, not overriding the you that's in pain, but closing the door where the lie of depression, anxiety, fear, foreboding is trying to open an access point to try to weigh you down. Be aware as part of your expectation and your plan is there's days that you are a lot more susceptible to an attack, to a trigger, because the enemy knows you're running, you're thriving, you're making great progress. And so you might get blindsided all of a sudden. And you're like, where did that come from? Partly it's just being a human. And there is a strategy of the enemy to try to kind of cage you or weigh you down where you get weary and well-doing, where there's this spirit of heaviness that can try to get on you to stop the trajectory and the, the distance you're making in your calling. So there's certain days like today for me, I knew I want to do my e-course. I want to work on these uh, great, exciting projects. And then here comes a trigger out of the blue. I wasn't expecting that. Nobody did anything wrong. I love my friend. She loves me. But that moment of hearing that news, the enemy took an opportune moment. So think in your own life in the past and think ahead. Part of your plan is recognizing certain times of the year, certain triggers, uh, certain anniversaries, and certain great pinnacle moments that either prior, during, or after you might be very vulnerable, especially right after a huge high, there's a kind of bottomed out chemicals. You've used all your good stuff. You exert a lot of energy. And at that kind of low energy moment, just like Elijah running away from Jezebel, there was this bottoming out where now when she attacked, he was very given to fear. So your assignment is to start recognizing what are the times of the year, the times in my destiny, times in my relationships or my calling, that there's moments that I'm a lot more vulnerable than other times. When you recognize that, now you can have a plan around that. And I'll even plan, okay, I'm going to have this big event. Then I need to have sleep time, rest time. But then I also need to plan something really fun, rewarding, and engaging. So I have something to look forward to, to help build in and insulate any attack that may come after this really epic event or ministry or career or whatever the thing might be. 
So you start planning ahead and you recognize the tactic of the enemy. Yours may be different. Everybody is so nuanced, but what you want to do is start studying what is the enemy used against you in the past. And now let's start troubleshooting. What's the plan that you can get ahead of that before you even walk into the situation. And then we identify what part of me is believing a lie. What is the truth? And now we engage that part of the soul right now. It's not that you're actually in real life alone and destitute because in real life, you and I actually have lots of people that love us, but in those moments, it feels like we're alone and desperate and it's never going to work out. So that's information for our soul to realize, ah, that's what's going on. In that moment, I have a literal real part of my soul or my spirit that is trapped in a room alone. And that's why it feels so true that nobody cares. Nobody gets it. You're abandoned and alone. And so by ministering to that part of you, introducing that part of you to the rest of your internal committee and saying, let's play the movie through, let's come out of this room and let's see truth from a new perspective that the other parts of your soul and your spirit are holding the other collective memories, the good ego states, the good mood congruent memories. So now your soul can be put back together in cohesion. So that's where we're actually gaining ground, where things can actually work together for good. It's a bummer to have that happen this morning. I was frustrated and annoyed. But my personality, and I hope yours is too, is, okay, if the enemy's going to bring this trigger, then how can I get him doubly frustrated that he ever messed with me today? There's a fighter that has to stand up on the inside of us and say, okay, you may get your shots in, but God's going to turn this for double good in my life. You messed with the wrong person. And so I felt sad. I felt mad. And there's this other part of me that kind of stands up inside and I'm like, hmm. How can I bless others? How can I do just the opposite of what you want? You want me to crawl in a hole, feel sorry for myself, not be productive, and just kind of wallow in those emotions today or go into striving, which is out of my soul and everything I do won't be very productive. But what I would rather do is now reach out. And so I reached out to about five to 10 people and just said, I love you. I'm thinking about you. And I started investing into relationships. I started writing down what are the key points to help myself and others get free in this very uh, scenario, this type of an attack. How do we get free? So you gain ground. I remember one particular season that depression had been on me for so long and it was so heavy and I have no idea what shifted, but one day I just woke up and I was like, I am so over this. I don't want to stay in bed one more day. And I was living in Hawaii at the time by myself on an island with no friends and no community. It was a very challenging year, nothing against Hawaii. It was just hard for me. And so I got up and I walked to my, the local strip joint that was near the place where I was living at the time at my apartment. And so I went to the strip joint and I started marching around their building. And I'm not saying prescriptive, do this or don't do this. I was just fed up that the enemy had messed with me that long. And so I started blessing the women in that place, blessing the men to come out and realize their true identity, that God has given people true value and worth. I was just so mad at how the enemy had used depression to try to silence me. And he had used sexual sin and depravity 
to try to keep precious people in a mindset that sex is all they're worth, that they're literally like cattle who are being bought and traded for money in order to show and share their sexual parts with other people. How devaluing and dehumanizing. And the coolest thing is when I finally got up and I started to march and bless these people, not cursing them, not saying anything mean. I didn't even talk to anybody. I just walked around the building and I started blessing them into their true identity, blessing them as sons and daughters to awake and arise in their true identity, knowing their worth and personhood, not just a sexual object that depression broke. It was like the enemy stepped back and was like, whoa, that's, I don't like when she does that, right? What in your life can you stand up and say, man, this has been a tripping thing for me for a long time. I want to have a plan. I want to have realistic expectations. I want to know the safe people that I can reach out and be vulnerable and honest and feel the things. I need to let love in. I need to empathize and give compassion. I need to reject that lie. I need to embrace the truth. Play the movie forward. Picture redeeming that part of your soul that has been vulnerable to believing those types of lies. And now you get up and you say, what are the things that would cost the enemy the most to get revenge for how he's been messing with me? Now, I'm not saying you have to do any of that. I'm just saying I finally got so mad at depression, how the enemy had been silencing and crippling me that I got up angry and I was expecting to be doubly blessed in that area. And there's areas in your life that you and I are unconsciously enslaved to more vulnerable. There's doors open that it's like nothing, nothing, nothing and trigger. And it takes us out at the knees, but this is a new day. This is a bright season. You have a favorable outcome. There is good on your horizon. A foreboding is not your inheritance, nor your portion. You have a hope and a future. Your latter days are better than your former days. So we get back up. We do the heart work. We do the soul work and we close those doors, rejecting the lies and now we do the opposite. And so I got up, I started blessing all my friends, calling, texting, loving on them. I went to a fun lunch that I was going to not go to and work that day and decided to be in relationship, go get away, have some fun, and then come back to work, come back to the project. And how can I bless and invest in others today? The enemy tries to take you out in the same day. What if you sucker punch him back? What if you stand up in your true identity, knowing who you are and starting to bless people, call people back into their identity, just by seeing them, valuing them, telling them, this is what I see over your life. I just want to remind you who you are and the value that you have. I love this gift about you. I love how you recognize others and serve others this way, whatever that you recognize in them, speak it out, bless them. And now you gain momentum, you gain territory in you keep advancing in the right direction. I believe in you. I know there's a call on your life. And I'm so excited that by having a plan, doing the inner work, you now can gain more ground than if that attack had never come. So may we together collectively link arms and be a healthy community that does the soul work. So now we can advance in healthy whole souls that live from our spirit and fulfill our kingdom assignment. I love you. And I am honored to walk in community with you.
Thanks. And I'll see you for the next episode. Bye guys.